If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Good morning and welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us the age of your kid and how far he is from diagnosis and then what brings you on today? Okay. My name is Rebecca. My son Jackson is currently nine. He was diagnosed when he was two and a half Mm -hmm. and he wears an Omnipod five and a Dexcom G6. Great. So a couple of weeks ago, Jackson was at a day camp and he started going high and we gave boluses and after camp that day, my in-laws were picking him up so he could spend the night at their house. Um, at pickup, I gave another bolus. I checked his pod. Everything seemed fine. And he went on his way to the in- my in-laws, but he continued to stay high, meaning like above 400, which is abnormal for mm-hmm. him. Um, for a period of hours and he wasn't coming down. And so starting around six o'clock when we didn't see any movement at all, we started getting pretty nervous. They changed his pump, but he still wasn't coming down. And so we said, can you bring him back to our house? Um, because we were very nervous, um, he was too far away. We wanted to see if we needed to give a shot. We wanted to check his ketones. Mm -hmm. And so around seven o'clock, they brought him home and we went over the plan with him that we were going to check his ketones, try and give more, another bolus and see if the pod was working. And if that wasn't the case, we may have to visit the hospital because he had been high for too long if he had ketones. So, It ended up his blood sugar started coming down. His nerves were high. Our nerves were high. I think my in-laws nerves were very high and it just took a long time for it to come down. And it really made Jackson worried. And I think the first pump that was on had malfunctioned, but it wasn't alerting us that it had malfunctions. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem Mm -hmm. that made him very nervous, but it got fixed. Mm -hmm. So then a few weeks after that, he was going to go on a hike with my cousins Mm -hmm. and we weren't, Justin and I were not going to go with him. And so this was kind of an independence trip for him, even though it was just a few hours and I'd be in touch with my cousins to give sugar, et cetera. So he was very nervous again, and they went out on the hike and his blood sugar went high. So I texted my cousins and this is above 300 inching towards 400. I texted my cousins. Can you please have Jackson stop and give a bolus? And the next thing I know, Jackson calls me and is freaking out, telling me he deactivated his pod. He's changing his pod on the middle of his hike. He's screaming into the phone come pick me up, come pick me up. 
I'm too high. My blood sugar is too high. It had only been high for less than an hour. So we weren't concerned because it was such a short period of time. We didn't think anything was wrong with the pod, but Jackson immediately went into a panic mode. And I think it relates back to the scary high he had before, which was extended over a period of five to six hours. Um, And now he expresses frequently how terrified he is of going high. And when he is going high, if he sees it on his CGM, like double arrow up above 200, he starts getting really nervous, which clearly doesn't help with the high. (laughs) So I just wanted to figure out how to combat his anxiety around these highs Mm -hmm. um, and his stress around them so that he can go back to having more independence Mm -hmm. um, because he's almost too nervous now to to kind of like do something without us there as a backup Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now complains that he like just wants to be normal and how come he has these thoughts of he might have to go to the hospital and other kids don't have to worry about that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. painful thank you can I back up and ask some questions about that yeah. for that first incident? So I'm wondering, did he have ketones when you che- did you check? We did check his blood ketone, uh-huh. yep. blood ketone meter, um, and he had slight ketones. They they were not high. They were not concerning at all. So um, we felt okay about that. Mm-hmm. And did he feel sick in any way, or did he? Because because I have to say, my son with slight ketones feels massively ill, and my daughter with high ketones doesn't feel sick at all. So I think there's it's pretty variable. Yeah, I think recently since that issue, he does express sometimes when he feels high. Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't think he can tell as much as when he feels low because sometimes I'll be like, "Oh, Jackson." let me check your blood sugar or something. And he'll be like, Oh, am I high or low? So I'm not sure he can tell mm-hmm. all the time. Right. But if, with the mild ketones, cause ketones I, can make you feel quite sick. Like, yeah, I don't really... think he did. He just okay. was so nervous. I think he was feeling sick. Okay. So there wasn't a body sensation that came with this incident. It was all the um, energy around it. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. that he's kind of absorbed. And now there's this ongoing fear. It sounds like this stress where he feels like he needs to be with you. Um, when he was on that hike and he changed his pump himself, what happened next? What, what happened? Um, I told him he was changing his pump and he was having on the phone with me and he wouldn't calm down. He was crying. And I said, Jackson, you need to take some deep breaths. And you need to do a finger stick so you can actually see where you're at. Mm -hmm. So we did a finger stick and he was high. He was like 375 or something, but he was like, Oh, okay. I'm 375. I'm not, you know, over 400, although it's close, but it's, um, and he felt better Mm -hmm. and he took some deep breaths. And I was like, that was step one. Now step two is finishing putting on your new pod Mm-hmm. And so he finished that. And then I said, step three is giving yourself a bolus. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to continue on your hike. And so he ended up continuing on his hike. He ended up going low. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we had to give sugar and he ended up having a great time and he was very happy that he stayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. Because what's happened is he's had, uh, you know, he's having an anxiety response to a, to essentially a traumatic moment in the family is what it sounds like to me. Right. So in the family, there was a lot of energy around this extended high and the way it was getting talked about too, was that was a level of, um, of intervention, right? Like we're going to have to go to the hospital, which is scary for a child, right? So Mm -hmm. he's absorbing all the energy. It sounds like your in-laws, particularly like you and your husband were a little nervous, but your in-laws were probably even more nervous. That's, that's a guess based on what I see with grandparents in general, right? Mm -hmm. And a little bit of what you described. So he's absorbing all this energy of like, this is really bad and dangerous. uh, And I'm at terrible risk, right? And also, and I I don't, I don't think you did anything wrong, Rebecca, I want to name that. But in pulling him back from the in-laws, you also communicated to him, we're the only safe people when things are out of whack, right? You didn't really have a choice. They didn't have a ketone meter, right? Like all of those things. Um, So I love that when he was on the hike, right, you communicated something completely different. You communicated, this is manageable. Here's a protocol to manage it. You communicated, I'm not worried or scared, right? And you can safely be with other people, right? Because all of that is what's important essentially to communicate in order to rewrite this narrative in this very stressful moment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Out of curiosity, you said that you thought it was a pump failure, that original high. You -hmm. thought it was a pump failure that didn't alert you. What makes you think that? Because he was getting so many boluses and it wasn't altering his blood sugar and he wasn't eating anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what else it could have been. His pump appeared to be in, Mm -hmm. it wasn't out of insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, And did you use the same vial of insulin later? So you know that it wasn't the insulin itself? Not that night, but I, think later, a few days later, when we had to do another pod change, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it makes, if you think about it from his perspective, what happened is that, that something struck him out of nowhere, right? There's no logical, there weren't signals to let him know, right. That this was the problem. And, and also something, um, that I, I'm guessing you already know because you've been at this a while, but I just want to reiterate, the higher you get, <laughs> the harder it is to bring the blood sugar down, even with n- our normal correction factors that work under normal circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. So I've always felt like the pump should have an S-curve program, like over 300 or over 250, the insulin to carb ratio, or the, sorry, the correction factor is this, is like, mm-hmm. you know, 25, 50% more. So mm-hmm. you were fighting a number of factors, right? And and from his perspective, like it came out of nowhere, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't a logical thing that you can point to something like, oh, the pump alarmed and that's why you were high. So that makes it a little scarier for him, right? Because he it, it means that something stealth can come that he doesn't know what it is or how to deal with it, right? So I I think what you did on that hike is really important. And I think that if he's continuing to talk about it, I would be 
reinforcing to him that you know what the protocols are, um, that he didn't have ketones really, sounds like mm-hmm. not, even though he had been high for a few hours. So that that's a good sign, right? Like he yeah. can kind of withstand a little bit of variation. It doesn't mean you want him to be off his pump, but you're sort of emphasizing to him that the bad thing didn't happen. And even if the bad thing did happen, and I'm saying this to you, Rebecca, what that would mean is he'd go to the hospital, he'd get some um, insulin, he'd get some mm-hmm. fluids, probably IV fluids, and then he'd come home a few hours later. Like he's not going to be in DKA from being high for a few hours, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think to even just to, to say to him, as he's saying, like, I just want to be normal. Um, I don't want to have situations where I have to go to the hospital. Is that what he's saying? Like, what's he saying? Yeah, that's what he said last night when we were going to bed, he was talking about how nervous he is about his highs Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want what happened to happen again. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes he goes into, why can't I just be normal? Mm -hmm. I have to think about going to the hospital and other kids don't have to think about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What did you say to him? Hard to hear. Yeah, it is hard to hear. What did you say? I said to him, all everyone has something that they struggle with. And he said, yeah, but everyone knows I have diabetes. And I said, yes, but let's think about other things that people might struggle with that you can't even see. And I brought up like dyslexia and Mm -hmm. how um, some people have trouble reading and the letters get all mixed up and they really have to focus and no one can tell that they have it, but they need extra time. And they have to have that their entire, and he goes, but I'm going to have diabetes my whole life. And I say, well, a lot of times like that doesn't get fixed. You just come up with dyslexia doesn't get fixed. You just have to come up with coping mechanisms as well. And so everybody has something they're probably struggling with, even if you're not aware of it, mm-hmm. like people are aware of your diabetes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say, why, you know, what is normal? Mm-hmm. But she can't exactly answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that that can be a very important message to send our children that like, because I think it's true. I mean, diabetes is a particularly heavy load, right? We all know <laughs> this. Um, and there are invisible things. Yeah, I, I, One of the things I think that's hard about diabetes is even though there's technology on our children's bodies, it kind of is invisible, like the work of it. My daughter just had a conversation with somebody who was driving her home some skin came up about her diabetes. She was explaining it. And he said, yeah, but you manage it and it's fine. Right. And I said, did you tell him? And she (laughs) said, no, I just said, yes. You know, and and it felt really painful, right? It felt like he invisibled her because he wanted to put a positive spin on it for her. Right. So I think that's, he said that too. He expresses it. He says, I have to make so many hundreds of different decisions every single day mm-hmm. that no one else has to make, mm-hmm. you know? And I said, yes, you are correct. You have to do that. And that is very hard and yes. can be yes. very draining. So yes. it's understandable. You might be upset and, yeah. and feel down sometimes about it. Yeah. Good. I love that you validated that. Cause that's what I was going to point to a little bit. I think mm-hmm. you're smiling, you know, my work well enough, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's true. We want to reassure them. We want to teach them that other people have hardship. And I actually think that's all legitimate. I also want there to be validation in there. 
especially because right now he's particularly anxious. So Mm -hmm. I want some validation. And then actually what I think would be powerful for you to do is to ask him some questions. What's he worried about if he goes high? Right. What, in other words, between you and me, what did he absorb from that stressful day? Because something Mm -hmm. got absorbed. What's he scared is going to happen? He's going to go to the hospital. So demystify that. Right. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. If you had very high ketones, we might be on the phone with the doctor. Right. And it might Mm -hmm. make sense to go to the hospital just to get you, uh, you know, some extra fluids and some some uh, extra insulin and have some doctors alongside us to help monitor it, it actually would be so helpful to go, right? Because you'd feel better there. We'd all feel better and safer having their help, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't become like a boogie place, a scary place to go, just a place where we go because we can get the help that we need, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I would be exploring with him, what's the fear? Right. And also talking to him kind of like you did on that hike about, you know, we actually can make a protocol. Right. So, Jackson, what you did on the hike is the protocol that we're going to do. And that was kind of I would name that was a weird situation where we couldn't really figure out what was going on. And I'm hoping that never happens again. But if it does happen again, that you're over 400 for three hours, I think we ought to just agree we're going to change the pump right? Because let's not mess around with it anymore because you don't need to be uncomfortable. But before that, like what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Right? Because I think it will turn the volume down on the stress for him to be able to wrap words around his experience and have you wrap words around and, and protocols around what might happen. After his hike, we talked to him about how he may have handled the situation slightly differently instead of deactivating his mm-hmm. pump right away. Mm-hmm. We said, perhaps next time you can call us and we can go through our checklist mm-hmm. or protocols, right. as we say, before we deactivate a pump. And let's just think about, does it look out? Is it smell like insulin? And we talked to him about the checklist that we use as parents mm-hmm. to figure out why he might also be high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at diabetessweettalk.com. You know, the other thing, Rebecca, I wonder if it keeps coming up if you say something to him like, you know what, Jackson, I think that day when you were high for a long time, we kind of overreacted. Mm. Yeah, we we made it too big. And sometimes things that are new for us, because like, good for us, that's not happened to you before, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes things that are new for us jar us and make us shaky. And we didn't do as well for that by you as we should have. Like we did all the right things, but because it was new for us, it made us a little more nervous. 
And, and, and I'm sorry that we communicated that to you because actually I realized looking back, we didn't have to be so nervous. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that would land for him? I think he would like that. I think he'll still be nervous. Yeah. 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 And, and, but I think validating him and, and just keep talking about it because he keeps bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to take a while to, as you said, rewrite the narrative. I mm-hmm. liked that, like mm-hmm. change how he thinks about highs from this experience. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also different because he was diagnosed so young, so much happened. He probably doesn't remember some of the yeah. things that he went through. Yep. Now he's starting to feel it and remember it and be a participant in it instead mm-hmm. of us taking care of him as a mm-hmm. two and a half year old. Yeah, that so makes sense. It's a change. And we want him to have more independence, but some of these examples have shown us we we might need to come back and, and reevaluate how much we're putting on him or not putting on him. You know, as you're talking though, I'm thinking about how around his age, there's a bit of a developmental shift where they become more aware of the world around them. What I'm thinking of is a, just a story of someone I knew who her daughter was able to like, you know, at seven, eight, go to the neighbor's house easily. And then Mm -hmm. around nine started getting really scared to be by herself on the street, like walking around to the neighbor's Mm -hmm. house, something that mom obviously considered very safe. I think that as they get older, they are suddenly more aware that the world is less safe, right? They get those messages. And with diabetes, that's what he's absorbing. So in some way, I think you're talking about something like a developmental shift in his understanding. Mm. We were giving him independence and now we think we might have to like mm-hmm. pull some of it back and, and we ask him to do a lot, you know, with his diabetes, especially if he's like on his own, like on the hike or if he's, if he's at a friend's house, we're like, make sure you pay attention to your blood sugar. I mean, I'm always there texting with the parents, but we are trying to let him recognize and treat his lows or take care of it and let us know to provide him with more independence so he can go on play dates or he can go, mm-hmm. I don't know, just different challenges. And, yeah, so- and we were rethinking maybe we're not quite as far along as we had thought we were. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm not sure that's true. I, I, I don't know. You could be right. Yeah. But another, another thing to think, theorize and hypothesize is that actually this is like a developmental jump for him. And because what I am hearing is that you're largely following his lead Mm -hmm. around what independence he wants. Right. Um, I want to name that I've, I've worked with you before so that people listeners will know that I'm not just making that jump from (laughs) this information. I I know your story because you've been on the podcast before I've worked with you in my classes, you've come to different events of mine. So um, I know that Jackson's been wanting independence, right. And wanting to, um, to do more things on his own. So you might titrate down the things where he's being asked to watch very diligently, because it sounds like the watchfulness might make him more anxious, right? So if you have parents who you trust and can communicate with them, you might keep it there for a while longer, 
right? Because that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to me like it's going to truncate his independence, right? Um, yeah, it it's might, so- yeah, it might it might turn down his, you know, watching a lot while good because we it, diabetes requires it. It also creates more anxiety. It does for us. It does for them, right? So I might turn that down a little bit, but I wouldn't assume that his in, he's not ready for independence. I would assume that he had a pretty traumatic moment that set him up to feel and to take in how that this does have some danger attached to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that he doesn't know how to manage that danger, that sense of danger. And so, yes, keep him well supported, give him a lot of language, validate his experience and his fear. And when, you know, and, um, and then I think once that gets quieter, you can let him start watching again or like watching more. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's so interesting that you say that because we went out to dinner recently and our sitter, she's a type one and a diabetes educator. She's overqualified to take care of Jackson uh-huh. and the other. And um, he was going high and he was very, very nervous. Mm-hmm. And she told me when we came home, she goes, you know, I said to Jackson, don't watch your CGM as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only check it every 10 minutes and we can set a timer and work on it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was at that point, she was also going high. So they were kind of combating their highs together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, I do that with the lows and I never thought about doing yep. that with the highs. Yep. Um, and that really helped him too. And I've been referring back to it as well. Good. Like, great. Let's not check it every five minutes or three minutes or two minutes. Let's wait 10 minutes and we'll set a timer and we'll, well get into something else. Also with highs, you can stretch that out longer, right? Because right. we all know that highs take longer. So start with 10 minutes and then say, you know what, Jackson, highs really take longer. I think we could do 15 minutes mm-hmm. because it's not going to move that quickly, right? Insulin takes a while. You can explain insulin action times and all of these things, <laughs> right? But but I think giving him more tools to slow down the anxiety so that he's not, right? So he's not leaning yeah. into it more. The last thing I want to suggest, Rebecca, um, and I, I think this might be a little bit of overkill for this situation, but you might mm-hmm. find some of it helpful, is there's a book called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, which mm-hmm. I really like. Um, and it the way it approaches anxiety is uh, it, it has nice languaging for children, um, but it also approaches anxiety as being outside the self. Right. So you're ident- So you could say something to Jackson like, oh, yeah, there's that part of you again that's really anxious about being high because you it's then it's not Jackson who's anxious about being high. It's like some part of him that kind of takes over and that he can then talk to. Right. So mm-hmm. when you're high like that, what are you going to say to yourself to reassure yourself that we're doing the right things, that we have a checklist, that we're all safe, that we know what, you know that we know what to do, right? So that's the advantage of that way of thinking about it. Um, And I think that book lays it out nicely. Um, So again, I think it's a little bit of overkill for this situation, but if you feel so inspired and have the time with children, you know, multiple children and one with type (laughs) one, so that seems like a stretch, but I think that that book has some good language and tools. No, that sounds good because he's anxious about other things too. So any Uh way to help mm-hmm. any help bring down any worries is yeah 
useful. Yeah. Because we have this idea as parents that we want to make room for their voice. Yes, of course. But their anxious voice, we need to actually make less room for in a funny way. It's not like we're not validating it. It's not like we're shutting it down or saying, don't do that. But we're saying, huh, look at that. Sort of, that's not helpful. I would never say that to the child. But um, like, huh, how do we address that to quiet that voice, right? Mm -hmm. Because that voice is getting in the way of you like feeling safe on a hike. That voice is getting in the way of you feeling like a normal kid. So how do you talk to that voice, right? So that that book, I think, will provide a lot of tools and language for that. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Anything else you want to finish with? No, just thank you. This is something new that we haven't had to deal with because, I, like you said, I think he's just developmentally changing and realizing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a new part of diabetes for us. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.